Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and our guest today is New York Times bestselling author and Proverbs 31 Ministries speaker, Karen Eman. Um, I'm really excited we get today to talk about Karen's brand new book called Reach Out, Gather In, 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Home. And the release date is October 20th. Is that right, Karen? That's right. All right. Well, Karen, thank you for being here. Thanks for talking with us and sharing about your new book. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, one of the first things that we like to ask our guests is, um, what is your favorite prayer closet? Where do you feel closest to God? Well, uh, surprisingly enough, this chair I'm sitting in right now. Yes. (laughs) It was a wedding gift to my husband's grandparents on his father's side in 1905. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a lazy boy. It was around even back then and it uh, got handed down through the years and reupholstered and it was my father-in-law and mother-in-law's for a while. And then he passed away. She went into assisted living and we inherited it. So it sits in the corner of my bedroom. My husband teases me because it's not my only prayer chair. I also have one in my office. I also have one in my front porch because I like to change locations sometimes, but I, I just love to just sit here and, and be quiet and think of all the, the other people in the Eman family over the years that have maybe sat there talking to God too, wondering about something that's going on with one of their kids or in their neighborhood or in their life. And so this is probably my main prayer chair, but, but I do have a couple others. I love that. And just the history behind it. And I was looking at it though, and it's, it's white. It looks plush. Is it velvety or is it? It's like, um, oh gosh, what's that kind of fabric called? It's like a kind of a tapestry. It's like cream and white together. And my mother-in-law okay. always, always had a cream colored sheet over it, which she gave me the sheet when she gave me the chair and said, now you have to use it with the sheet on it, but I don't have little kids in the house anymore. So I just mm-hmm. leave it like it is. I just leave it like it is. Well, it's beautiful. And yeah, that's amazing. So in general, a chair though, a prayer chair, one of your many mm-hmm. prayer chairs. Yeah. Yes. No, I love that. Well, and and to think that there's literally just like a prayer legacy probably on that and in that chair. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. neat to think about. Um, one more question for you. Coffee or tea? What camp are you in? Do you have a camp? Depends on the day. Coffee before 1 p.m., tea in the afternoon. I'm with you. I am with you. I definitely, I, I, I used to be a coffee all day drinker and I don't know what it is about my body chemistry now, but it is not receptive to coffee in the evenings anymore. And, and I do enjoy tea now. I've really grown to enjoy tea in the evenings. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I was so excited to see this book, Reach Out, Gather In, because it really hits home for me on a number of levels. And, um, I just, I feel like this time in history, when we're talking, uh, this book is about hospitality. And I feel like this time in history, talking about hospitality is probably more important than ever. But I imagine that you wrote it before COVID. Is that right? Did you, when did you begin writing this book? I actually, this project actually came up really fast out of the blue. A publisher approached me with an idea and I said, I love it. Let's do it. And I actually wrote the book the last three weeks in January and the first week of February, 2020. So it was right as it was like out there, but not right at our front door yet. Right. And but we didn't know if it ever would be no, at our front but, door like this. Right. Right. But by the time I got the edits back, it was now April. 
And so we were right in the thick of it. So I did have to alter things just a little bit, you know, to talk about how to still be hospitable when you can't always be opening up your home because of social distancing and a variety of other things. But yeah, it was kind of right when it was all happening. No, I don't think that's an accident. I think this is just a really great topic. And even before COVID, this was a, a topic that I definitely need to hear about. And so I think a lot of women just in our culture and our society of busyness and self-focusedness, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that we really need to be intentional um, about hospitality. So what was it that prompted you? I mean, you said that your publisher or was it your publisher reached out and said, this is a topic that we want. Um, what was it in your heart that said, yes, this is something I want to write? What was the personal element that led you to write this book? Well, I had been thinking about the topic for a while. I had actually written a book specifically on hospitality. It wasn't in a devotional format like this one is, but I had written a book on hospitality years and years ago when my now 22 year old six foot five inch son was like three <laughs> running around. So a lot of what was written in the book and the stories I used and stuff were, you know, almost 20 years old. So I began to think about how many women had reached out to me who had read that first book. It was called a life that says welcome mm -hmm. and had said, Oh, I really love this. Do you have more information? You know, gosh, I wish there was some practical, um, some more practical things. There were some recipes and such in that, but they just really wanted to know how to do it. It's like they already agreed with the premise that we should do it, but they wanted some real motivation for how and also for why. Like, what does the Bible say about it? Is it optional? Is it not optional? And so over the years, you know, the last 20 years of opening up our home, whether it was when we first started out and didn't have any children and we were having teenagers over because my husband was a youth pastor or later when the kids were born and in elementary school and growing up through high school. And now that they're all young adults, it's kind of changed over the years, the different things that I've served and the ways that hospitality looks in my life. And so I'd gathered a lot more stories and ideas and studied a lot more in the scripture about it. And so I thought, you know what, this would be great for like a 40 day challenge, like 40 days to opening your heart and your home. And it's not specifically just on hospitality inside your house. There's a lot of ideas in it for taking your hospitality on the road and making people feel welcome wherever you are. Yeah. And I love that because I think we do picture hospitality as being Martha Stewart and inviting someone in for the perfect, you know, spread of tea. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of, at least for me, that can be a roadblock. That can be a barrier because I'm not Martha Stewart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would love to be, but I am not. And I struggle with, you know, well, and we'll get into it a little bit later about some of the hangups. Um, but I just, I, I feel like we have hangups about hospitality because we have this box. We put it in and hospitality isn't just for those that have their home immaculate all the time and who have, you know, mad baking skills. It's, it's for all of us and it's a state of mind and it's something we can carry with us. And I know that because I've met hospitable people both in their homes, but just people that make you feel welcome, that make you feel, they invite you in to share your story. They invite, they make you feel special wherever you are, no matter if you're in a hurry, you just have this sense of peace and openness, I think. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Well, I think let's just talk a little bit about how the definition of, has the definition of hospitality 
changed in the COVID time that we're living in? And how did you have to rework the book? What were the things that you had to consider and that you emphasized more? Yeah, actually, I didn't have to rework it per se as much as I just, I wrote an introduction about, you know, how I wish we were sitting together having a cup of tea together. Um, But in this day and age of social distancing, you know, it's different. But even from the get-go, before COVID hit, I really wanted the book to be not specifically and limited to hospitality in your home, but just how do you become that person you were just describing, Jamie, that welcoming person that just kind of calms you down and makes you feel that you're, that you're loved and that you're accepted? How do you become that kind of person? How do you open your heart to those people who are marginalized in society? And how do you notice that person who least expects to be seen? You know, I, I once heard it said, and oh, I'm terrible for not knowing who said something and giving proper credit. So I don't know, maybe, maybe one of the listeners can, can uh, hop on later and tell us who said this. But one time I heard it said years and years ago that um, people may not be impressed with your credentials, but they're never going to forget how you made them feel. Hmm. And I think that's so true. And when I think about the hospitable people in my life, my mind never goes to those HGTV things that we have in our minds that are, you know, entertaining, really, not hospitality, they're more about entertaining, the perfect house and the perfect food and the new remodeled job with shiplap and all that, even though I love all that kind of stuff. Those are, those shows are great to use as a resource. But when my mind goes to who do I think in my life has really displayed hospitality and made me feel welcome? It was the people that I've never forgotten how they made me feel. They made me feel like I was wanted. I was not just welcome there, but I was wanted. And they made me feel like there was nobody else around. Like they just zeroed in on me and wanted to really, to really get to know me beyond a, Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Kind of surface level but they wanted to know about my dreams and my hopes and my fears and my concerns and really, you know, engage in what I call soul sharing, really share soul to soul who we are at our deepest level. Not that you need to go that deep with everybody, but there was just that longing to go beyond the surface and to really make me feel like they were glad I was in their life and they wanted me to come back. Yeah. And I think it's those people that when you talk to them, you don't get the impression that they're just, waiting for you to be done with what you're saying Mm -hmm. you know that they're really truly interested in what you're saying and Mm -hmm. and what you're doing um and you know as you were talking I hadn't thought about this before but I felt convicted about not being hospitable to my own children Mm. you know I have this desire to be hospitable to the world but sometimes when you're describing that okay yeah the person where you know they feel loved and welcomed and like you're glad to see them and I don't always practice that in my own home or with my husband Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a I'm too busy for you and unfortunately oftentimes it's I'm too busy with someone else or with the requests or the demands or the perceived expectations of other people in my life to be hospitable to you, my mm-hmm. flesh and blood. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, that's a trap we can easily fall into. I remember when my children were younger, I went through this stage where I really was trying to pull out all the stops and prove how great I was at entertaining and being hospitable and all this. Cause you know, when I got married, I didn't even know how to boil water barely. And I, I didn't know how to cook. And I was marrying into a family full of people that could cook. One was, um, 
owned a bed and breakfast and one did catering from her home. And so I was like going, oh man, I've got to learn something here. I've got to impress (laughs) these women. But I remember when my children were little going through this stage where I was pulling out all the stops to be hospitable when we were, you know, having company over, I would make a meal unlike anything my children had ever seen. So they didn't get that kind of food all the time, but boy, when company came over, they did. Or, you know, even when it was taking my hospitality on the road and, and bringing a meal to a family that had just had a baby or just had some kind of tragic thing happen in their life. I remember one time Spencer, my youngest, walking into the kitchen and there was a blueberry, a homemade from scratch, crust and all, blueberry pie cooling on the counter. And he walked in and he smelled it and he went, oh, mm, blueberry pie. And then you could just see his little face fall. And he goes, who's it for? Oh, never did he think it was for him. You know, they got the Oreo cookies in the cookie jar that were store-bought because I was, you know, pulling out all the stuff. So I kind of adopted this little rule where if I couldn't make the same meal, for my own family that night that I was making for someone else, then I wouldn't sign up to take the meal. I didn't want my kids to grow up remembering all the good food going out the door and them sitting down to leftover lunch meat and stale Oreo cookies, you know, so, but it is, it is kind of a trap that we can fall into because, you know, our family, they got to love us. We don't need to impress them, but sometimes we we get this wrong notion of, of hospitality of of really kind of trying to impress people. And it's not about impressing them. It's about trying to refresh them and make them feel welcome when they're with you. I love that. That's such a good distinction because I think that is the trap that I sometimes fall in is wanting, uh, I have to look at, okay, what are the times when I feel like I'm being hospitable that, that, uh, I don't know, not bring me the most joy, but what do I, when do I feel good about myself or feel hospitable? Is it when I'm feeling like I've got my act together and I'm impressing someone or is it when I'm, you know, maybe have an imperfect home and I invite them over anyway because they need a shoulder to cry on, you know, mm-hmm. am I so wrapped up in the way my house looks and falling all over myself, apologizing, um, that I'm not there for the person. And unfortunately, I think that's, that's the side of it that I fall into kind of as a people pleaser and, you know, in some ways wanting to gain something from hospitality, like self-value or, you know, having the, the Instagram perfect spread on the table. And yeah. And I think that that is, that, that checks your heart. It checks your heart. Is that really hospitality or is that self-serving and hospitality is not self-serving it's giving. Well, one thing that I love about this book that just drew me in and I thought she's got like a camera in my house or something. She (laughs) knows, how does she know me? You take us through this whole process. It's not just about this spiritual idea of hospitality. It's, you know what? Do you struggle with inviting people over to your home because you always feel like it's messy? <laughs> well, take the challenge to take the next however long and, and declutter your house. Just do this. And that you add these practical steps because sometimes we over-spiritualize things. And, you know, I know there are times when we under-spiritualize them, but with something like hospitality, I love that you didn't just keep it spiritual. You said, you know, there are practical barriers that keep people from wanting to have people in their home or keep people from wanting to be hospitable. So can you talk about some of the, the obstacles and barriers that women have that you've, you've heard over the years that keep them from, you know, what, what are those lies that the enemy whispers? Oh, you can't, you can't be hospitable because X, Y, or Z. 
Yeah. Yeah. There are just a slew of them. I think one I hear often is my house is too small. Like I just don't have a big kitchen with a big kitchen table. Well, you know what? You just need to learn to get creative. There were years that my husband and I, 11 years, we lived in our first house and the kitchen was so small that our kitchen table had to have both of the ends dropped in the drop down position. And then we kind of tucked it up by, by the wall during the day. So we could actually get through to the appliances, the refrigerator and the stove and such. But when the table was put up, you know, it was, it took up the whole kitchen. My, my back was to the fridge. My husband's back was to the stove. And so it was during this time that I started learning all these lessons about hospitality and we wanted to have people over. So we had to get creative. There were times that it could see, it could sit four people when the, when the um, outside flaps leaves, no, not leaves, what are they? The ends were put up and the brackets were secured. So we would have another couple and their kids over and the four adults would sit in the kitchen and we would put the kids on a blanket in the living room floor just around the corner. And I would feed something that was kind of finger food-ish, you know, sandwiches and, and, you know, cut up vegetables or chips or something to go with it. And we learned to have hospitality in our home with the kids having an indoor picnic. Or sometimes we would do it outdoors. We would just wait until the summer to offer hospitality. We had a nice big picnic table and a folding card table and a little kid's picnic table. And so we would all just go out in the, the backyard. So I hear my house is too small. I hear I don't know how to make fancy foods. Well, first of all, it doesn't need to be fancy. There again, we've got this notion of all these wonderful shows we see in our mind that we have to, to cook like them. And unfortunately, our line of thinking often goes like this, like if I can't make those fancy food like the experts, then I'm just not going to even attempt it at all. It does not matter that your food is gourmet-like. What matters is that you have simple food, but plenty of it. Simple food, but plenty of it. You don't need to impress people with your cooking skills. Another thing I hear is that my house just isn't clean enough. And that may be very true, but there's a whole world out there on the internet of ideas for helping you get your house clean and getting your yeah. act together. And like you just mentioned, I have uh, several practical sections in the book that, that talk about decluttering and cleaning and getting, getting yourself into a, a weekly routine. And so you can learn to have your house be presentable. It doesn't have to be spotless though. See, we have the wrong, you know, line of thinking in our minds that it has to be white glove spotless. It just needs to be relatively clean and clutter free. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then often we think about the kids like, oh, what if my kids don't behave, especially maybe if you're having someone over who's older or whatever, they're not expecting perfection from your kids. This is, this is how I get myself over all of these excuses is I like to flip the script and think, I might be thinking these things are so important to have a big, beautiful house and gorgeous decorations and nice, you know, gourmet food and perfectly behaved children. And, but when I flip the script and think, wait a minute, that's because I'm the host and I'm thinking I've got to do all this stuff. But when I'm a guest in someone's house, is any of that important to me? Right. Yeah. No, I never one time in my life, Jamie, have gone, oh my goodness when I'm going to be a guest at someone's house, I sure hope their house is spotless and big. <laughs> oh my goodness. I hope there's gourmet foods like I've never seen before or their children better behave. They better not step one to them. I don't think that at all. I'm not going to see their house. I'm not going to see their food. I'm going to visit them. And so I think if we can climb out of our host brains, you know, and think about being a guest and what's going on in their minds, it helps to take the pressure off. 
I agree. We are so much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. I mean, at least that's my experience and pretty much anyone I've ever talked to says the same, that the expectations you have for yourself or the perceived expectations that you have, you know, put on other people for you are, they're usually not true. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one real, very real way that Satan can get a foothold and cause us to be isolated and can cause us to not be hospitable and not pursue fellowship. And for me, that's definitely the case. And one thing that I have found that helps is invite someone over first and it's amazing how fast your house gets clean, <laughs> or at least that's true. It does motivate you or at least presentable, you know, maybe you have a closet full of stuff that you've piled in there, but invite someone over. And that is what I sometimes just have to do is say, okay, someone, I've got to invite someone over. And there, there are phases in my life where I'm pretty good at, at maintaining, but I'm in one right now with three kids schooling at home and a new puppy and life oh, wow. being busy that it's just it, my, I'm at a new low in my housekeeping <laughs> and I've been really frustrated by it. But not only does that, you know, my, you know, we don't really have many people, if at any, if any people at all coming over. So it's not really an issue right. at the moment, but just even to have someone over, like we've had a couple of people for outdoor barbecues where they've come and sat outside and they have to walk through the house to get there usually. And so, you know, but I, I had to just say, okay, I, I need to have this person over. I'm going to invite them first, give myself several days and then make it happen. And that, that sometimes helps put the pressure on if you struggle like me with getting stuff maintained. Right. Right. That's very true. Have you heard about our Patreon community? Patreon provides a way for listeners like you to partner with us to reach more women with the Praying Christian Women podcast and our other prayer resources. For as little as $1 a month, you'll get exclusive access to video recordings of podcast episodes, including some early access to episodes before they've even been published. You'll also be able to listen to our entire archive of retired episodes of the Prevailing Prayer podcast, where our podcasting partnership began. You'll get sneak peeks of our newest prayer resources, as well as virtual retreats and other audio and video bonuses. To find out more, head over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash partner right now and check it out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, do you, um, do you have any ideas that you can pass on? I'm thinking of people either because of COVID or just in general who are forced to be isolated right now. Um, do you have some ways that someone who needs to be isolated that can't have guests over for any reason can practice hospitality um, right now, even if well, they can interact? When you when you think about hospitality, not just within your four walls, but of, of the concept of making someone feel welcomed, there are lots of things that we can do. You know, first of all, just 
ask yourself, who in my life, who do I know that needs to feel welcomed? And it might be a new neighbor that moved in. We, do, we just had someone build a house down the street in the last lot that was left in our development. And I thought, my goodness, they're moving right during the time of COVID. They, they need to feel welcome, but things are a little different. So I'm not going to just invite them to my home. They might not want to come into my home for a meal during the pandemic to somebody's house that they don't know. I even thought about making them feel welcome by just taking over some of my homemade chocolate chip pumpkin bread, which the recipe is in the book. Um, and I, I was going to do that. And then I thought, oh, well, they want homemade food during the pandemic. So instead, mm -hmm. I just decided to write them a nice little note, welcoming them to the neighborhood and to give them a gift certificate to the wonderful retro pie shop. We have a, like a vintage cookie cupcake and pie mm -hmm. shop in our town. So I tucked that in there instead. Just think of where in your life might there be somebody who needs to be, feel welcomed. Maybe it's a, a new parent on the PTO. Maybe it's a new family at church. Or ask yourself, you know, who in my life really needs cheering up? And you can let the U.S. mail or FedEx or UPS or whoever you use do your cheering up. Sometimes I'd like to send a box, a, a box that's just like a, I'm thinking about you box. You know, put some streamers in there and confetti that's going to fly out when they open it. Now they might not be too happy when they have to vacuum their floor. But, you know, and just, just toss some things in there that you know that they love. You know, snoop oh. around, be listening and, and thinking about what their favorite treats are. Maybe a book they've mentioned to you recently that they've been really hoping to read. They just, you know, haven't ordered it yet. They don't have the money yet to order it. There are so many ways that you can do drive-bys, drop-offs, you know, or even just picking up the phone. Hello, we don't have to just text or leave comments. We can actually make that phone go up to our ear and we can call a person and actually hear their voice yeah. and simply say, you know what? This pandemic stinks. I wish I could have you over right now for a cup of coffee, but I can't. So instead, I just wanted to call and say, is there something I could be praying for you about? How are you doing? What's going on? How are you doing in this pandemic? And just making them feel like you care. It doesn't have to be that you're making food and opening your front door. We've got to learn to be creative and ask ourselves, how can we make someone feel, feel noticed and loved and, and wanted without using our home? I think that is so important. And I think you hit on two really important things. And the first one is sometimes when I think about hospitality, I think about, um, you know, just friends or, you know, opening up your home for the sake of opening it up. But you bring this new element of being intentional about seeking out those, the least of these, you know, seeking out those that God points you to because they desperately need a friend or they, they need hospitality. And I think that is, that is a really key component of hospitality. Yes. It's great to have your life group over or your Bible study or your best buddies or whatever, you know, your bunco group, but to seek out <coughs> the least of these and the, the women that are just hurting and, and to cultivate a like eyes, you actually say something about putting the right glasses on. Mm -hmm. And, and I love that because sometimes I'll talk about God glasses, you know, put on your God glasses. And I think that's put the right glasses on that reveal the ones that need you the most. And that is a big key to hospitality. And the second thing is sometimes I think, and I think this can be a hang up because it is for me sometimes, I think, 
oh, there are certain people, my mother-in-law is one of them, who's amazing at gift giving and she pays attention. I mean, she knows what you love. She knows what you need. She knows what's missing in my kitchen. So when Mother's Day comes around, I'll get a little package. You know, she's my mother-in-law and she sends me a Mother's Day gift with the spatula that I broke or, you know, the whatever that I needed. And I just think, wow, some people are just gifted at that. But I think, again, that can be a hang up. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think definitely there are people gifted at hospitality. The Bible says hospitality is one of the gifts. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who says, well, I don't have the gifts of hospitality? How, how would you encourage that woman to pursue hospitality? Or should she? Should she just do something she's better at? <laughs> Well, definitely there is a spiritual gift of hospitality. There are certain people who are just wired for it. They just, you know, have a natural inclination to be that kind of person. But elsewhere in scripture, in Romans 12, 13, it says we are to practice hospitality. Mm -hmm. And it's written as a command. It doesn't say, now, if you think you might want to have somebody over someday, then by all means, you know, be nice, be kind, and and go for it. No, we're told to practice hospitality. We're also told to offer hospitality without grumbling and complaining. But so often our brains can think of all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons to grumble. But it's really, in the original Greek language, it's written as a command. It's not written as a suggestion. And I also think of the words that was used, you know, practice hospitality. There are some things that just take practice. It's not going to maybe be that we have the spiritual gift of hospitality and we're just naturally wired to do it, but we need to practice. So start on somebody easy, somebody who already loves you (laughs) and maybe offer a little hospitality to your best friend, you know, take her outside and do a little coffee and um, muffin date. I like to call it mug and muffin. I used to host this thing at my house actually where I'd have my friends over. They'd all bring their own mugs. So I didn't have a bunch of coffee cups to wash when they left. And oh, that's then, ingenious. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody brought their own mug. And then somebody brought maybe two people, because it got to be quite big, actually, would bring a plate of muffins. And we would just sit and visit. And you could do that outside, you know, if you need to social distance. And of course, until the weather gets too cold. But just start practicing with someone that's easy and then gradually move up. Because I think sometimes we get this notion in our head, like, oh, I'm supposed to be this super spiritual person that practices hospitality. That means I need to invite that new family over from church that has six kids and that I don't know very well and they're kind of quiet and they're hard to talk to. And that just seems so scary Mm -hmm. that we think, I don't know what I'm going to cook. I don't know where I'm going to put all those kids. I don't know how I'm going to carry this conversation. So we just don't do it at all. So just start with those you love and Mm -hmm. those who love you and, and start small and just work your way up from there. I love that. That is such good advice. It just takes the pressure off and just opens doors. I think Mm -hmm. just opens doors to, to being able to do it more. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just wondering since we are a prayer podcast, what role would you say that prayer has played in your personal experiences with hospitality, whether it's, you know, you talk about your own mentorship relationship when you were a girl, um, or your relationships with others. Um, how does hospitality open the doors to prayer? Well, first, I want to tell you a little story that'll lead to the answer to this question. Mm -hmm. So I was raised by a single mom who was living on a budget so tight it squeaked. Uh, She had a lot of reasons to kind of be down on her life, but she seemed to have the most positive, upbeat, optimistic personality and um, outlook on life of anybody I know. 
And I remember one time I was really down in the dumps. I was in middle school. I think like maybe I hadn't gotten invited to a slumber party or something. I don't know what the issue was, but I was upset. I went to my mom and I was all down in the dumps and telling her how terrible things were. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, you know what, honey, whenever life gets you down and circumstances aren't going your way, you need to remember this. There's always someone out there who has life worse off than you. So go find that person and do something to make their day. And in a strange way, it makes your day as well. Get your eyes off yourself, honey. Get your eyes off yourself. And I saw her do this over and over again. She was just a very others-centered person. And so I didn't know it at the time, but later when I had a small group leader who gave a term to this thing my mom did, I learned that my mom was really good at listening for a heart drop. And a heart drop is when somebody kind of, they tell you something without really telling you. You're kind of listening between the lines and you, you hear that their husband's having some medical tests and they're supposed to get the results back next Thursday. And you sense a little bit of fear and apprehension in their voice. And so you go write that down or put it in the notes app of your phone or your calendar or whatever and remind yourself that next Thursday you're going to reach out to them because you listen to that heart drop and you're going to ask them how it went. My mom was just so good at doing this. Mm. Or it might not even be um, necessarily that they're saying something without saying it, but it might just be a random piece of information. Maybe you're with your friend. Well, actually this happened. I was with a friend at a coffee house. She gave her high maintenance coffee order. It was very high maintenance, but I memorized it. (laughs) And when I went out to the car, I wrote it down in the notes app in my phone. that That was in the spring. That was like in April. Well, that fall, her only child went off to college. Mm. And I knew on the first day of school, when she saw the yellow school bus go by their house, she was going to have a hard day because he was not there. He was now far away at college. So I showed up on her front porch with a box of tissues and two coffee drinks, one for me, one for her. And I handed it to her and she said, oh, what'd you bring me, a mocha? And I said, no, I brought you a, and I rattled off her long high maintenance coffee order. And she said, how did you know? And I said, because I was listening, you know, and, and another little thing that I've, I've learned to do, and this is, has really um, not only been a matter of prayer, but a way of just really reaching out to people and listening to those heart drops without them really ever saying anything is when somebody loses a loved one and I go to the funeral, I take home the brochure, the little, you know, program from the funeral. And I write down what would have been the deceased person's birthday. And if their spouse is still alive, their anniversary. And so I remember when um, one of my friends, her dad passed away in September and his birthday was in April. I wrote it down on my calendar when I got home from the funeral. And I knew on his birthday, she always went to his house and he lived in a different town. They would go on a two mile walk together and she made him a homemade carrot cake. And I knew that day in April was going to be really hard for her. So on what would it have been his next birthday, I showed up on her front porch. I rang her doorbell. She opened the door and I had a homemade carrot cake and my, my jogging shoes on. And I said, want to go for a walk? And she just bawled. And she said, how did you know? I'm about to start crying. I mean, (laughs) what I said, it was super easy. I just wrote it down after the funeral. So taking note of these heart drops, taking note of these dates, being very prayerful and asking the Lord, what can I do that will really touch that person's heart and being on the lookout for that person that has life worse off than you, because you know what we normally do, Jamie, is we look at all the people who surely have life better than us. Yes. You know, we're scrolling through social media and thinking, man, must be nice to have an upgraded diamond ring like she's got in the 
picture there with her husband at that fancy restaurant or, oh, look at, you know, somebody just posted on Facebook that their child got student of the year. And I just got a phone call from my middle school that my child just acted up in class with the substitute teacher. Not that that's ever happened to anybody I know, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, we compare ourselves to these people that have life better off than us. And then we get, you know, down in the dumps by comparison. We need to remember what my mom said, go find that person who doesn't have life as good as you and do something to make their day. And in a strange way, it makes sure that well as well. I love that. And that, I mean, that takes, cause you know, sometimes I'll think and my husband kind of jokes with me when I'll say something like, well, you know, really focus on, on the good thing because, and he's like, I know someone else has got it worse. Right. And, but it's not just someone else has got it worse. It takes it to a very specific next step find that person, mm-hmm. bless that person. Wow. Like that is, that is so powerful. And so, um, it's life-changing, I think, it to is. start pursuing that type of life. And I love that the impression that you have of your mom is just this person that always looked on, not just looked on the bright side, was always positive and thankful and joyful mm-hmm. no matter what. And I think that's, that's the key. And, and I think that's the key one of the, the keys to joy is hospitality, being hospitable and, and loving others and giving of yourselves. And we miss out on that when we let these hangups keep us from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're running out of time quickly. This is going by fast. Um, I guess, what is, your, what is your personal biggest prayer struggle and what do you love the most about prayer? I would say my biggest struggle is focusing because I am a doer and I like to do. And sometimes just being very honest, prayer seems like just sitting there and you're not getting anywhere. You're not making progress. You know, if God knows everything about the universe and can see into the future, he's going to do what he's going to do. What, you know, what does it matter? What I sit here and battle about. And that's a really wrong way to think about prayer, but it does, it does pop into my mind. I feel like I should be doing something. I should be making progress instead of, realizing that, you know, one of the things I love about prayer is it, it solidifies and forges and grows your relationship with God. It's very important. It's not just, you know, a rattling off of our, our gimme list. It's, it's important because we see God answer prayers, even if, you know, sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers till years later and he answers it in a way we never thought he would. And it seems like he took an awful long time. We can, see his hand and we can see the why years later. And so if we don't persevere in prayer, we're never going to learn to see the beautiful thing that it is, even though sometimes his timetable is not our timetable. So I've had to really be intentional to focus during prayer and it's going to sound silly, but I, I keep a little notepad with me. And if something pops in my mind, like, oh, you need to take the chicken out of the freezer to thaw for dinner or whatever. It can distract me when I'm praying. But if I have that notebook there, I just write it down. Now it's off my mind. I'm not going to forget it because I'm worried that, you know, I'm going to forget it when I'm done with my prayer time. So anything that pops in my mind that's a to-do or a better remember or whatever, I just jot it down and then I just go back to praying. And now that might not sound very spiritual <laughs> to people listening, but to me, it has helped me spend a longer amount of time in prayer because I'm not rushing off to do something because I'm afraid I'm going to forget. I've written it down and I've gone back. And I think the Lord understands. He knows how I'm wired. He knows I'm not just one of these people that can just 
sit and contemplate and think nothing. My husband, sometimes I'll look at him on the couch and go, what you thinking about? And he'll say nothing. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? I want to do that. So um, focusing is my greatest struggle, but my thing I love about prayer the most is it grows my relationship with God and it, and it allows me to see answers years from now sometimes, but then I understand why it took so long. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love your prayer tip because actually Alana, our, the co-host of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, that's one of her favorite prayer tips is just write your, write your list down. If you, think, if you think of something you needed to do and you need to put the laundry in later, just write it down and keep mm-hmm. on praying. And yeah, God understands. I mean, he's, he knows what you're thinking anyway. And, and so it is, it's such a practical way to discard the, frust- the frustrations, discard the distractions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can our readers find your book? Um, this will air. Um, I'm not positive when this will air, if it'll be before or after October 20th. So we'll talk about that later, what, what timing is best, but, um, but what, uh, where can they find your book? The problem, probably the easiest way is just to go right to my website, KarenEman.com and Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. And there they can find out all about the book and find where I'm hanging out on social media and such. And uh, do you think it will air before the 20th? Well, if you would like it to, I should have probably talked to you about this ahead of time. But if you want it to air before the 20th, we'll do that. Because if you have pre-order bonuses that you'd like to offer, let's do that. (laughs) So I'll tell that right now. Yes. And and the book releases October 20th. And so if people order it from anywhere, pre-order it from anywhere, Amazon, their local retailer, wherever, before the 20th, they can go to my website and claim a bunch of free bonuses. There's, we were talking about practical, there's some make ahead recipes, there's some menu planning and shopping little forms and some cleaning and clutter busting uh, schedules. And then my favorite thing is a whole, I think it's two pages, a PDF of decorating your home using items found in nature. So that's kind of fun for for the fall. So if they order by October 20th from anywhere and go to my website, they can find out how they can get all those freebies. That's perfect. Well, great. And we'll link to that too in our, in our show notes. So perfect. All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for talking with us. This was really fun. And um, we want to end with prayer for you. So how can we be praying for you today? I think my greatest prayer is that my stepmother has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she's in the, the late stages. They're thinking less than a month left. And so I would probably most like prayer for her. Her name's Gig. (laughs) All right. We will pray for her. Thank you. God, we just thank you for this time together and just for this topic of hospitality. God, we just lift it up to you and just pray that for each of us, that you would show us how we can just one step, one thing that we can do to become more hospitable in our hearts and in our actions. Thank you for Karen and just her message and all of the great um, insights and tips toward um, how we can become more hospitable people and just glorify you in, in the relationships that we have and the way that we reach out to others. We lift Karen up to you today, and um, I just I pray for the release of this book, that it would be um, successful in your eyes, that it will get to many people, that it will transform lives. God, I pray that salvations would happen as the result of this book, that people that don't know you would read it, and would come to know Jesus. I pray that women who are bound by hangups, 
um, about hospitality would be released and would just be empowered to walk out their calling to be women of hospitality in ways that they never even realized they could be. And that, um, that you would just be blessed and that you would be glorified in this book and in Karen's life. Um, we lift up her stepmom gig and just pray that you would be with her now. Father, I just pray that your, your spirit and your presence would be with her. God, we pray that you would bring healing in whatever way you see fit to her body. God, we just pray that you would relieve pain. God, that you would um, give her joy in the midst of this diagnosis. I just pray for Karen that you would give her exactly the encouragement um, that her stepmom needs. And we just pray you would surround her with people that love her. We pray that your presence would be known, God, and that Jesus would be her strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.